Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We're doing a throwback show this week. Joining me in the old studio is... Jason Rosenbaum. And... Joe Manis. And no guest. No guest this <laughs> so week. So sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> we are just pontificating and uh, sharing our political acumen with the yes, audience. Yes, but hey, this we have some key pontificating to do this week. So much. There's a lot, there's a lot to pontificate about this okay, week. Okay, first. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had inspe- expected to be discussing a big election this week. Right. And we all get to that. And we will get to that. But there was some rather big news or a big investigation that the New York Times published into attorneys general throughout the United States. Joe, you wrote something up for us about it. Why don't you uh, why don't you explain what they found and what the story was about? Yeah, ba- basically what their story was about was that the influence that corporations and lobbyists and particularly a certain lobbying firm have in swaying attorneys general to either drop cases or settle for lower amounts and the influence that they're having on state lawsuits. And the Exhibit A was our own attorney general, Chris Coster, who is a Republican turned Democrat and who is considered the heir apparent as the Democratic nominee for governor in 2016. And he really was portrayed... In an unflattering light, to, to say the least. Say the least. Now, to be now to be fair, all the attorneys general that were featured in that article were portrayed in an unflattering light. But he was he was the focus of it. He he was you know in the lead of that story, and they had a huge, you know, I would say probably a fifth of that story was about him. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. When you're a public official and you're running for office, you'd love to have a fifth of the story in the New York Times about you, but in a flattering way. Yeah. Not, basically, what it contended, uh, boiling it to nutshell, is that in one particular lawsuit uh, involving an energy drink that he— uh, Five-hour energy. Yeah, he's alleged to have told his office to drop the uh, probe into whether or not they were using unf- unfair advertising practices— after he had met with a lobbyist who had zeroed in on him, uh, the story included lots of captured emails, which, again, kind of crystallize the back and forth that goes on between lobbyists and their targets. He also was uh, accused of reaching lower settlements than the state might have gotten money-wise in various lawsuits, notably in, with Pfizer and mm-hmm. AT&T, and it cited the fact that in one case after there was a such a settlement reached that he ended up being flown to Chicago for uh, to speak at a um, Pfizer conference, and his topic was how corporations and governments can state governments can work together better. Now, in Coster's defense, Coster uh, put out a pretty detailed re- um, response, saying that the contending that the New York Times mischaracterized. Uh, the settlements. Uh, he cited a number of other lawsuits that the state has filed with Pfizer and AT&T, among others. Um, said that noted that 44 states, including Missouri, have not sued over the energy drink thing. So he was contending, in effect, that he had been unfairly targeted. He also said, I think we may have mentioned this before, he consumes five-hour energy. Yes, yes, and, he did. And having, knowing Chris Coster, I, I, I believe him because yeah. he's a bundle of nerves. So, so <laughs> Pfizer specifically 
Missouri settled and got $750,000. That was $350,000 less than other states um, if, if we had signed on with other states as part of a consortium of, of yeah. states. And he was blaming a misstep by a lower staffer, basically threw a staffer you know, under the bus. Basically, for all of these, that was his excuse. You know, the five-hour energy thing, it was, well, the staff wasn't communicating with me they should like they should have. For this one, it was, well, we missed an important deadline. All of his excuses were basically, you know, we messed up, but we weren't. There wasn't any impropriety. But even if there wasn't any impropriety, it doesn't make you look good. Oh, yeah. No, it looks bad. If you're in charge of the office, everybody's got missteps. I mean, I've had missteps. But when when, when it's point after point, we missed this, we missed that deadline, somebody did this wrong, somebody did that wrong, it just makes it look like you're not engaging your office as far as leading it. I'm not saying it's the case. I'm just saying that that gives the perception. And of course, Republicans are pouncing all over this. Among other things, Republicans are in a feeding frenzy. They're convinced that all of this is going to uh, encourage Senator Claire McCaskill to change her mind. By the way, just as an aside, I, I know that people lampoon Ed Martin a lot, but didn't he basically say during his campaign that Coster was engaging in the type of behavior that he's being accused of, and nobody would listen to him because nobody thought he was going to win. Well, it was partly Ed always also used rather volatile rhetoric. Yeah. He accused him of breaking the law and being corrupt. Now, this does not accuse him of that. Yeah. And yeah, but he basically said that he was influenced heavily by campaign donors to make decisions, from what I recall. Yes, he did. But it, but he spoke in general. He didn't use yeah. specifics. I, I just want to wanna, fair, I just want to point that out. To that, be fair, that people were were talking about this during an election season where Coster was heavily favored. But continue. Yeah. And and the fact yeah. is. One of the problems for Republicans is that their candidates for governor, notably Catherine Hannaway, is already under fire for accepting 750000 from a single donor, Rex Singfeld. Um, the House Speaker who came out and said he might want to lead some sort of commission or investigation into this was the subject of a pretty uh, a lot of attacks a year ago over a, a side uh, uh, corporation, LLC that he had set up that some yeah. accused him of using that to, for political gain. But he that, said that controversy not. fizzled out. Yes, it did. But the point was is that um, there's a number of officials on the other side who've run into similar type assertions that they've done pay to play. Yeah. And, and none of them have advocated for any ethics reform. No, but neither, right. but neither is Coster. I mean, I've seen this reaction to this, like, oh, well, at least my candidate hasn't taken 70% of my money from Singfeld. Well, Coster took $335,000 from Singfeld over the last two years, and he took $100,000 in 2008. Are you telling me that in 2008, that $100,000 during the primary didn't get him 550-some-odd votes to win that primary? Singfeld's money was, I would say, if not important, decisive in him winning that primary. There seems to be this blind spot among Democrats with Coster that they talk all piously about campaign finance reform, yet their presumptive gubernatorial nominee has been so out of step both in practice and in rhetoric on this issue. And this, I think, just is kind of part and parcel of that. I don't think they're, they're, they have a blind spot so much as that they— I think they just basically ignore it because they want to win. Well, that— <laughs> There's that, yeah. especially on the Singfeld thing. <laughs> how many how many Democrats have openly criticized Costa for taking money from Singfeld since he's become Attorney General? Hardly I've anybody. I've heard none. Yeah. Hardly anybody. It is the height of of hypocrisy to, to well, me. Well, but Jason, we need to be. I mean, 
Sinkfeld hasn't given as much money to Koster lately because obviously he's picked somebody yeah, else. But, if, he, but if, if, if Tom Schweik beats Catherine Hannaway in a primary, I think it's a very plausible scenario that Koster could get a lot of money from Sinkfeld. And, you know, I think the reason I mentioned this, and I know I'm getting, I've, 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 <laughs> I've had a long and busy day so far, so I'm a little hyped up right now, and I just had a soda. Hope I, you haven't been taking that energy. energy. I had a five-hour energy drink. It's just like, <laughs> this is what, I mean, I've been pointing this out for a Sorry. while, and I'm not saying Coster is necessarily in the wrong here, because I think that, you know, when I say when I say in the wrong here, I'm not talking about the New York Times article. I'm talking about his position on campaign finances. Right. But, you they're know. Related. They're related. But they're related. And Coster has been consistently opposed to campaign finance limits when he was in the Senate as a Republican and as a Democrat. And since that time, he's gotten into numerous campaign finance-related scrapes, whether it was that aforementioned situation where basically 50 or 60 PACs from Rex Singfeld gave him $100,000 after the donation limits were placed back on. That was highly controversial. There was the other incident in 2008 where Basically, another group of PACs brought his over-limit money back to him, and he barely escaped Ethics Commission just coming down on him like a hammer because there were some sorts of conflict of interest with, with votes on that. I mean, you know, he, he he's had these issues for a while, and I think that people within his party have kind of looked past it because they, they think they see him as an extremely promising political figure, and again, they want to win. Essentially. Well, well, and one of the smart things he's done tactically is that he's he he is the energizer bunny, probably drinking a lot of that five hour energy drink as he goes to all these fundraisers for all these House and Senate uh, Democratic candidates. He's he has been everywhere trying to help them raise money. Yes. So the result is that then they are then grateful or they're pacified. Yeah. Well, either way, but they're not. And, Think of the people that he's been giving money to. He gave or has been helping since, you know, he made Jill this, Shoup, he's done a he's lot. He's helped Jill Shoup. He's helped Stacey Newman. He's helped Maria Chappelle Nadal. These are all people who are kind of on the, you know, center left flank of the Democratic Party that would probably be most outspoken about some of the things that he's most conservative on. He's not just conservative on campaign finances. We saw with Right to Farm that he was out of step with many people within his party on that. And I think that was kind of an effort and a smart effort and shows his political skill to kind of get ahead of a possible, you know, left of center backlash against his candidacy. But, but then he ended up being under a lot of pressure on when the gay marriage stuff yes. came up. I mean, there was a number of uh, Democrats who then privately told him after the right to farm thing that he could not, could not um, back away from support for um yeah. marriage rights now, for gays. I want to look a little forward here because I think there's a lot of speculation that this is the sort of catalyst that maybe prompts another Democratic person to jump into that race. Now, obviously, the person being thrown in most is Claire McCaskill, who apparently has wanted to be governor forever. I mean, I'm personally skeptical that Claire McCaskill, the U.S. senator, former auditor, would, would, would primary cost her. They're very close politically. Um, and I just don't see them running against each other. Well, and they're working together on some Ferguson stuff. I think that um, she told me, for the record, uh, several weeks ago that she was not entertaining a bid against Coster. But she might change her mind. I mean, she didn't say she would change her mind, but I think there are some pressure from some Democrats for her to 
still look at it. At the same time, Republicans are salivating. Yeah. I mean, my phone has been ringing off the hook and my email. They are convinced. The person you also have to look out for is Joe Maxwell, the former lieutenant governor. Now, he's been out of the game for 10 years. There's some question about whether he can beat Coster, but having worked in Columbia for a long time and having been up to northeast Missouri, he has a fantastic reputation as a political organizer and as as having a, a pretty strong ability to win in the rural parts. And he could probably run to the left and point out to these things, and we could be a nightmarish opponent for Coster if he decides to do that. I don't know if he could beat Coster, but it certainly wouldn't be helpful to them. Now, one of the things that would hurt Maxwell, potentially at least outstate, he's a farmer, is that he was he is, was employed by the Humane Society and so was on the opposition, right. was the leader of the opposition of Right to Farm. Yes. Now, now, Right to Farm won just barely, and he blames, he publicly blames Coster because he feels that if Coster at least had backed off, they think that they could have defeated it. I mean... It, Maxwell's opposition to it was basically rural. He, he's claiming that it hurts the rural family farmers. But in any case, Maxwell's getting a lot of encouragement to yeah. look at it. Republicans are hoping that Coster gets a primary opponent because, frankly, Coster has more money than Hannaway and Schweig right. combined. And if, unless Coster has a primary, and if neither Hannaway nor Schweig back out, Republicans see an almost no-win situation right. of having a damaged nominee, and there's Coster sitting there with tons of money, even if he had, did have this New York Times story. Yeah, I'll just say this as kind of a closing po- uh, point. Um, yes, even after I, you know, issued like a lot of seeming criticism at Coster, I still think that, you know, this is not a good thing for him. I think it's negative and damaging. I don't think it's necessarily fatal. And I think that having known Chris Coster when he was in the Senate and seeing how he's operated as attorney general, both within the office and as a political figure, you know, I think that he has the skills to rise above this. But I think it's going to make it a little bit more difficult for him to escape scrutiny when he does things that I think are kind of out of step with the mainline elements of his party. Well, he he should be grateful that it came out now, 2014. If this was 2015... I think we would be having a different discussion. Joe, let's let's start off with county executive. As you were, were saying earlier before we started recording, it's come down to guns and corruption. Yes. Uh, as most of our listeners know, have been following this, uh, Republican Rick Stream and Democrat Steve Stanger have proposed some similar key ideas. Both of them claim that they're going to be doing a lot to try to create jobs or attract more business to St. Louis County. Both are promising, quote, top-to-down audits, unquote, to look for wasteful spending. The differences are that Stinger has proposed retooling some agencies within county government, while Stream is proposing to reduce the size of county government. Stream wants to reduce regulations on business, do things that he thinks will attract business, where Stanger says he will travel more and do more to try to attract business. He thinks that's the way to go. But all that said, the last few weeks, if you look on the TV spots, it basically comes down to two things. Uh, Stream and his allies contend that he is the man to get rid of what they call corruption at the county government. Uh, And they have been attempting from the get-go to try to 
to tie Stinger to incumbent county executive Charlie Dooley, which who, is which is kind of funny. If I know, you I know. The county council the last I, I couple know, of years because Stinger defeated Dooley in August. But what's funny is a number of Dooley's allies are now a stream. Right. <laughs> so yeah. so Stinger's I, been. I, saying, I do just want to point one thing out. There's been a claim in the ad that Stinger has voted with Dooley 98 percent of the time, and assuming that means that he has supported things that Dooley has signed. Yeah, because Dooley doesn't vote. Yeah, but I know what they're trying to say, and I'm still not sure it's a relevant statistic. Because if you, for the five people that follow the St. Louis County Council, the vast majority of things that are voted on are non-controversial zoning and minor technical changes. And that's that's counting probably all of those in the equation. And I'm not sure if that's a relevant statistic. Yeah, because both of the Republicans on the County Council probably have percentages that aren't much lower than that as far as... Now, that but, said, but that aside, that said, Stinger's biggest attack at main stuff right now is citing streams vote for um, the new gun law that allows open carry. I predicted this, remember, back in September during the override vote that this was going to happen. And so they're hammering at this. They're saying that uh, they're portraying this whole thing about stream being extreme, unquote. Uh, I've covered Senator Claire McCaskill at several stops for different candidates, and she keeps working in a line about stream no matter where she is. And so the point is, is that all these other things that where they've talked about how to make government better are not showing up on TV. No. And by the way, all the claims that Stree, or Stinger is attacking Stream on are probably in positive ads for Jeff Rorta, since he voted for all of those things, too. <laughs> Jeff Rorta is running for state but senate in Jefferson that's County. That's in Jeffco. I understand it's different populous, but, but be that as it may. Right, right. But 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 it does. You're pointing to yet another example where the Democrats, there are different Democrats that are running on different records, right. which is fascinating. But also, Stream and Stinger have spent um, well over a million dollars on TV ads just since the beginning of October, which is a really hefty sum. Especially, especially when, when prices it's just are St. low. Especially just in St. Louis yeah. Yeah. market. And especially when, you know, People in Jeffco and St. Louis City and St. Charles and, you know, Illinois could not care less about this if uh, from a practical standpoint. Maybe they care about it because they want to see who wins, but the St. Louis County Executive doesn't have any control over those jurisdictions. Well, and, and to be fair to Stream, the St. Louis County Executive has limited uh, uh, influence over gun legislation, especially now with this new legislation. It strips the right. county of its power. Uh, just as well as the city yeah, of trying to curb uh, uh, public displays of guns. And I'm not saying that his record in the legislature is off limits. Obviously, when you vote on something, you have to own it, even if it's not completely like in sync with what you're running for. But I mean, you know, I think Stinger even admitted at our debate when he was attacking stream on abortion, he wasn't doing it because he was promising that he's going to be some super pro-abortion rights county executive that's going to actually expand abortion rights in St. Louis County. He's just kind of doing it to point out that, hey, he he is, is against abortion rights. And, you know, maybe the people in St. Louis County that don't like that would, would perk up. Well, even if especially it's not, young women and 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 Basically, he admitted it's it's basically it's basically for politics and not po- policy. Well, it's to it's to craft a narrative, just yeah. as just as the stream uh, side is trying to craft a narrative, trying painting Stinger in with with the missteps that the Dooley administration right. had, even though Stinger was vocal against many of those, 
And then in turn, as I said, you know, Stinger's trying to paint stream with the brush for, that all uh, Republicans in, yeah, the, in the state house are, are, but, are um, but let's, extreme. But we're, we're, in the, we're in the weeds it. here. Let's kind yes. of step back. Like, you know, it's almost Election Day. Yes. This, this, this county executive's race has been building probably since we started this podcast two years ago. What do you think is going to happen? I think it's going to— I think it's going to be closer than some say, but I think some of it's going to depend on the weather. I see predictions that it may rain on Tuesday. Ooh. That can affect things seriously. So does that mean Todd Aiken wins? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Todd Aiken won back in. Yes, that back. was that was the reference. Yeah. And, but I I think that uh, I, I think it's going to be key in a lot of things. I think you'd be watching turnout in West County, where a lot of the Republicans are. Part of it's going to be whether or not Republicans are energized, whether or not North County. Uh, some of the African-American officials who've been backing stream, whether or not they can deliver the votes. There's some question about whether or not they can. And then in South County, how big of a – is there a split from people represented by Stinger who go for stream? But the bulk of the votes is in the central corridor right. of St. Louis County, and that'll be where a lot of the battle is won and fought, and that's why they're talking about these issues. I'm interested to see who wins, but I'm more interested to see where the votes come from. Yes. Particularly – North County. Yeah. Are are black voters going to vote for stream out of protest for Stinger support of Bob McCall? Or do they just not show up? Or well, do they just not show up? Here, That's what I'm most interested here is in. Here's Stream's difficulty here. And I mean, St. Louis County has trended very far to the Democratic column over the last couple of decades. And the problem for Stream is even if for set for example he won West County and got more votes in the black areas of North County than usual. The map still isn't that favorable to him because Stanger is still probably going to do well in Florissant and Hazelwood and that part of North County, which is, you know, split a little bit more evenly between black and white. He's probably going to do pretty well in South County since that's where he's from. And then in the Central Corridor, when I'm talking about Central Corridor, I'm talking about Creevecore, Olivet, Ladue, U any, City. U City. I'm just not quite certain that voters there are going to vote for stream, especially when you have that 24th district Senate race going on at the same time. And Jill Shoup, the Democratic candidate, is is kind of trying to energize some of those key Democratic voters to vote for her. And if they vote for her, you have to imagine they're probably going to vote for Stinger. Well, she and Stinger have been those two camps have been doing a lot of coordination and discussion as far as turnout and stuff like that. So there is a lot of that. There is some of that going on, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, if you look at the money, uh, while Republicans have been talking a lot about supportive of Stream, if you look at the money, while he hasn't done bad on money. He has not been getting those huge two hundred thousand dollar checks that, that, that Paul that, Wheland has yeah, in the Senate. Yeah, or uh, Jay Ashcroft. All right, let's let's chat very briefly about the two races where the money is flowing into yes. the two state Senate races. We've okay, got... uh, Jason, you want to talk about the well? 24th there's two. District the twenty fourth district is between Jay, Jay Ashcroft and Jill Shoup, the aforementioned state representative from Creevecore, who's a Democrat. Obviously, Jay Ashcroft is a Republican. You could probably guess that by his father, John Ashcroft. And, you know, that's been an unusual race in the sense that it's been a race where the Democratic candidate does not have to, like, pretend to be a candidate who they're not or try to out-conservative the other candidate, no, which, has become, needs to be. which has become a trend in state Senate races, especially in rural areas. And I think there's a practical reason for that. The district that they're running in, which encompasses, again, the central quarter of St. Louis County, has pretty sizable pockets of moderate to liberal voters. And when they see an ad, for example, like Jill Shoup's on 
um, attacking Jay Ashcroft's stance on abortion. Whereas that might have hurt her if she was running in Jefferson County or outstate Missouri. That probably helps her energize voters to get out and vote for her. So it's really going to be a test to me to see whether that strategy of basically running on your record and not pretending not to be, you know, who you are when you that you were before you decide to run for state senate, it works. And then the other race is the Jeffco race, the battle for Jeffco, which I guess the Missouri Times has basically also adopted as a moniker. So I'm very happy to see that. Well, Um, one thing I do want to mention on the Shoop Ashcroft race is that Ashcroft has. It's been hard to pin him down, his views on different uh, yeah. things. He has um, – most of his ads have been attacking her, you know, on some issues. and But it's it, it's kind of a – it's been – they had hardly any forums together. No. Um, so, so my point is, is that the, that's an unusual race from the Republican side and that the Republicans aren't touting yeah. their candidates' views on stuff. Yeah, and I think that's purposeful in a okay. way, if I had to guess. But, you know, interestingly, in one of those ads – they attacked Shoup for, quote-unquote, corporate welfare voting when they were actually pointing to a vote on the China Hub bill, which was a big project of some St. Louis County Republicans, like right. Eric Schmidt yep. and others. But that's a, that's a story for another day. So back to Jeff Cohen in the 20 yeah. So that's kind of the opposite tact. And I, I, I don't mean this disparagingly to Jeff Rorta, who, you know, Democrat. who came on our show and answered a lot of tough questions, I think stood up to, you know, harsh lines of questions after he became a lightning rod after Ferguson. But he really has voted far to the right compared to, you know, other Democrats. He voted for the 72-hour waiting period. He voted for that aforementioned open carry bill. He voted for tax cuts during the regular session and then switched it during the veto session. And he's, he's just, I think, trying to take this strategy with with the exception of some major issues like, you know, Medicaid expansion and, and some education stuff. Right to work. I yeah. mean, he's really just trying to showcase how conservative he is to kind of match up with Jeffco's conservative tilt, sort of, so to speak. And Jefferson County values. Jefferson County values. I'm just I just wonder this. It'll be really interesting to watch whether that strategy works. Well, he's also highlighting the fact that he's a former policeman and all his police ties, which actually might hurt him if he was in St. Louis County. Uh, yes. Be- because he's yeah. he's on the board of this uh, benevolent fund that's providing money for Darren Wilson, the I, aforementioned Ferguson police officer. But in Jefferson County, he believes this helps yeah, him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Ad promotes uh, it's a Democratic-leaning district. Obviously, Jeff Ward has done a lot of things right fundraising-wise. He says he's campaigning hard. But, you know, I just have to say, when I mention at the onset of this that there are some Democrats who tried to basically out-Republican the Republicans in the past— it has not worked. Work. It didn't work in the the libelatory swinger race. It didn't work in the Joe Fallert Gary Romine race. And frankly, the the races they point to the West Schumeyer and the Frank Barnett's in two thousand six. Neither one of those candidates were like showcasing their conservative values. Right. In fact, they were probably showcasing how democratic they were on Medicaid expansion and other things. Especially Schumeyer, who was also focusing on how he was trying to fight against mainline agriculture groups. So I'm I'm just it'll be a real test to see if that strategy, which has not succeeded in the past, actually still works. And it might, because, as I said before, it's a Democratic leaning district. But Republicans Demo- are spending a lot of money to try to win that. I don't know if it's I mean, do you, do you see it as Democratic? I think it's kind of very it's. I don't know if I would call it Democratic. I think leaning. I think the DPI is slightly Democratic, but it's conservative Democratic. Okay. All right. A quick programming note here on Tuesday evening, election night. Um, 
90.7, which is our station. We aren't only on the internet. Uh, you can listen to us with some live coverage. NPR will have some nationally, and then we will be breaking in with, with some local coverage as well. So you can listen up to us there. And we'll also have some live coverage on the site at stlpublicradio.org. Yes, please do. They're going to dare to and have us on the air talking about uh, election yes. results. Are we going to come back on Wednesday and recap everything? I, I think we will be. Yes. Th- we, we, we do that. That is kind of a politically speaking tradition. And so we will plan on being very tired, but yes. very prepared to give you the breakdown. Of and we'll happened. have a lot of buzz. And maybe we'll have all drunk some of that five-hour <laughs> we could energy five drink. Energy. Pretty much. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at, at CSMcDaniel. Jason? Jay Rosenbaum. And Joe? Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. We'll be back next week with results. Until then, so long.